I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hey, what's up, guys? It's Mike Lynch. What's going on? This is Rashad. This is the Sports Sunday Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. It is now brought to you on the fan by your local Les Schwab Tire Centers. Doing the right thing since 1952. Weekend sports with a difference. Yeah. Shouldn't be drinking. Oh, really? You learned that in med school that you obviously didn't get into? A look at the weekend in sports with the inside story on the Blazers, the Ducks, and the Beavers. This is Sports Sunday with Mike Lynch. At least I have my own bed. Your bed is a car. Yeah, but it's a sweet car. And Rashad Taylor. He's a very gifted singer. I'm really, really good. How good? I've been called the songbird of my generation. Stop people who've heard me that good on 1080 the fan just keep building my ego up Rashad thank you well that's what I'm good at I appreciate it that's what I'm good at man welcome into sports Sunday everybody and honestly normally we kind of spend the first segment just farting around a little bit talking about our weekends or something goofy that's happened but Frankly, I don't really care about that because this weekend has been consumed by the four overtime Blazers Nuggets game on Friday night. And lo and behold, we have another game tonight or this afternoon. Turn right around real quick too. we'll be talking about as well. So we're going to be spending a large portion of the show today on the Blazers and the NBA playoffs. And we saw the Rockets get back into the series yesterday against the Warriors. We've seen a couple of the other Eastern series. So we'll get to all sorts of NBA playoff stuff. I don't really want to waste too much time, though. Text lines better you today. Text line 55305. Social media. I'm at Mike Lynch 27 on Twitter. Uh, Rashad's at TaylorMade503. Jesse's at Jesse Osmond, A-S-Z-M-A-N. That's where you can find us on social media. Text us. Tweet at us. Uh, whatever you want for talking about the Blazers game on Friday. I just want to dive right in. Where do you want to start? Do you want to start with just the pure insanity of it broad? Do you want to go specific into what happened? What, uh, what, what like what okay i'll ask this what was the most exciting portion of that game to you what they, stuck oh, out the most uh, at the end of the game what was your first i game? have to agree with terry stotts i don't remember the first four quarters to be real like i only remember these three or these four you know kind of epic overtimes like I have that that's audio. that's really all that i can yeah I'd, I'd love to hear that but that's that's really all i can think of i can't remember really what happened in the first i know the blazers didn't have the the fastest start that with we would have liked to see as fans but outside of that like all i can remember is the play of your stars and dare i say superstars and i don't know if i can do that yet but cj is continuously proving himself night after night after night and I just think that's what I remember. Damon CJ just going beast mode in the in the four overtimes. Here is Stotts, by the way. I have no idea what happened in the first half or the second half or the first three overtimes. And Rodney Hood came in and played great. It was a hell of a game. I've never been involved in a game like that, um, regular season or playoff. But it was, uh, it was an amazing effort by both teams. Nobody's ever been involved in a game like I, that. I also <laughs> don't remember the first – 
or second half, to be honest with you. And from watching the game, all I remembered was the end of regulation into the overtimes. And then I rewatched, I think it was ESPN or the Sports Center Twitter. They posted like a three minute video that was just the end of regulation into the fourth overtime with all of the various misses and hits that had happened. Um, my first thought was Rodney Hood oh, when yeah. the game ended. And I'll get to that in a second based on the stats clip. But to your point about CJ and Dame, Dame didn't have a great game again. Lillard Lillard in game one was amazing. 39 mm-hmm. points, hit a bunch of threes, yet they lost, right? Game two, frankly, he sucked. He wasn't very good offensively, at least. Defensively, he's actually still been good this series. But the rest of the team did enough to win that game. Mm-hmm. And then last night, or two nights ago now, feels like last feels night. Feels like last night, though. Two nights ago, Dame was good. He wasn't as bad as he was in game two, but he still wasn't dominating like he like he had been in the in the Thunder series. He had some moments in the overtimes. He had that big three in, I think, the third overtime that felt like it was going to end it. He had a couple of those drive-by layups that helped tie the game at the end of one of the overtime periods. They all kind of meshed together. Apologies mm-hmm. for not remembering exactly which overtime it was. Um, and he had his moments... But CJ, to me, was the story of the game in terms of the starters. Absolutely. And I saw this stat, and now I believe it's nine of his last 12 or 10 of his last 12 playoff games, CJ scored 20 or more points. So we could say what we want about CJ in the regular season. We could talk about how the the small guard pairing might not work. Right now it is. And right now CJ is proving himself to be a playoff assassin. Even at the detriment, a little bit of the team at times in overtime, CJ went, this is all me. And he took some awful shots <laughs> but, and it felt like it was going to cost him the game. That's where Rodney Hood kind of saved him in the last overtime. But he was so stinking good. And in that one overtime period where he hit the step back jumper and then the the shot that was on the borderline of being a three and the next time down the court hit the three, he had, I think it was six or eight consecutive points for them in that, in that overtime he single-handedly won them that game. CJ, we give Dame a lot of praise for being the closer that he is. And when you close two really, you know, great playoff series out, you know, and basically walk basically walk off fashion, then I think it's really easy to say, man, that guy is the closer. Man, CJ makes big shots at big moments and has done it really since he's been a starter. Like, I can't tell you how many games we've seen that the Blazers have been down three or been down two, and CJ with that floater or with that mid-range or a three-point shot ties the game or takes the lead or whatever the case is. He was hot. CJ was at the going in that in those overtimes, he couldn't miss a shot. And at that point, I say, man, give it to the hot hand. Dame had finally started got to finally got it going, but I, by that time I think it was a little too late for him to be in takeover mode. CJ, since they started the fourth, was like, Yeah, let's go. Let me, give me the ball, and I've got it from there. He had that turnaround shot that he did, I think it was over. Um, over Jokic? Yeah, over Jokic. That was just, it was, and it, it had rattled in, but that lets you know he had that shooter's touch, and it was going in all night. The big rebound to go back up and tie the game to go into that fourth overtime. It's like, man, come on, CJ. Like, this guy was just absolutely everywhere. And I, honestly, I, we've disrespected CJ a lot, and I think now that you're in the playoffs and you're in a great position to possibly go up 3-1 yet again, you know, in the playoffs, like, CJ is a huge reason. You mentioned 10 of the 12 games or somewhere around there. We'll have to find that number. Uh, I believe it was, I think for game two, it was eight of his last 10. 
So it might be nine for his okay. last well, 11. Well, Steph now. hasn't done that. Right. Steph hasn't scored 20 in eight of his last 10 games. You know what I'm saying? Because CJ, last night. And, well, you know, and C.J. McCollum it can actually step out there and, and do that. And he's really been really one of the key members or one of the two key members of this team next to Enos Kanter. And Rodney Hood, you mentioned it, man. I said a couple weeks ago, I think he's going to be the most important player uh, for the Blazers, like off the bench, not one of the main starters. But this guy, he's a, a matchup problem. For Especially in this series. Yeah. Uh, there's nothing like he went from averaging, I think he's averaged like in he averaged, say seven points. He averaged three points in the first round. Three points. And, and now and now he's averaging, I want to say, fifteen points. That's a pretty this, significant jump. You know, an additional twelve to thirteen points is a really significant jump uh in the second round. So he has been huge for them. Uh, this whole team, like Enos Cantor, you you, you what else can you say about these guys on the team? Like I said it on my Twitter is like this is one of the best Blazer games I've, I've I've ever seen. This is one of the best wins that you will ever see. And, it, of course, it's a historic win because it hasn't happened since 1958, was it? 53? 53. 53? Yeah. So it hadn't happened. We weren't born. I don't think our parents were born at that point. So Almost, but not yet. Yeah. So it, that's it was really historic. And, man, you just got to take your hat off to everybody on this Blazers team for not giving up. It would have been really easy to give up in the second overtime and just kind of get flat in the third overtime. Mo Harkless is, was getting was starting to cramp up and things like that to let you know how hard these guys were really playing to get to that fourth overtime. And for them to pull it off, that was huge. That showed a lot about the Blazers' heart and their moxie. So here's what we're going to do on the show today coming up over the next two hours. Game game four is today at 4 o'clock, so we're going to kind of jump ahead a little bit, probably in, in the second hour or at the very end of the first hour, and take a look at game four today, what you're looking for, what you expect based on the four overtime game two nights ago. But I want to spend some time really kind of digging into this game as we move into the show here in the first hour. I want to talk about the Rodney Hood decision by Terry Stotts in the fourth quarter. That was It took a lot of guts to do that at that point in the game, but yet it was also a, a, a really, really smart decision. I want to talk about Ennis Cantor and what he's been playing through, but also his little – he had one tweet on social media that I, I think was a bit of a – Hey, Blazer fans, support me, but also I kind of feel like it was in poor taste. So we'll talk about that as well. And uh, anything else from the game, Mo Harkless's performance was very, very good, and he hit a huge three at the end of regulation that got them back within two late in the game. And also, let's give some love to Nikola Jokic because I thought he was going to die. And have a whole segment on Nikola Jokic? We have to. Yeah, I know. But Absolutely. that's what I'm saying is we'll, we'll talk a lot of Blazers, but for a guy who looks really out of shape, he just set the record for most minutes in a playoff game. So and was unbelievable well, in that game. At the end, he was basically doing nothing, but he was out there, and that's all that matters. So we'll talk about all that coming up on the show. Remember, better you today. Text line is five five three zero five. That's where you can find us. We also have some more audio from the Blazer game, which we'll play throughout these next couple of segments. Uh, interact with us, and we'll share your thoughts on the air. Coming up next, though, let's start with the hero of Game Three, and that is Hot Rod. This is Sports Sunday on the Fan. Weekends were made for sports. This is Sports Sunday with Mike and Rashad on 1080 The Fan. It's a beautiful Sunday morning, too, by the way. We're getting into some really nice warm weather coming up this week, guys. So enjoy the weather because it's supposed to be like 80 something. On I know Friday. it's almost 90 one of the days this week. That's love to the river. It's May. I know. It's early May. I know. 
Is this global warming? This is the best day of May. Or is this like a trick and we're going to go back to rain in two weeks? Probably. Welcome to Portland. <laughs> Welcome to Portland. I still feel like every time this happens, I'm like, this is the start of summer. It never is the start of summer. Yeah, there's always some some lulls in between there. Some some days right around June 9th <laughs> and June 13th that are just a little rainy. And But this uh, this has been nice. I like it's, it. It's in I, almost, I almost don't like these days because I get really distracted looking out this window at all the the people jogging at all the the boats that are going to start being here within the next like 20 or 30 minutes. So that's the one thing. It's just, it's really distracting. I'm like, wait, I'm doing a hater to love it. Like, wait, love what? What am I, what am I hating? What am I loving? So yeah. We'll see, but that sounds like a you problem. I don't think it is. I it's think not it is. an outside problem. It, that's, uh, no, that's it's a, definitely that's a, a me, your attention problem. But I think if the roles were reversed and you sat over here and got to look out the window, you'd kind of be doing the same thing. Oh, probably. Yeah, probably. I, I've seen you take some long glances and then try to follow in other studios' windows yes. as uh, some very as some uh, great leaves have flown by. Yes, very beautiful. Good scenery. Dogs outside. Great dogs. Yes, <clears throat> the best dogs. <clears throat> so let's get into the hero of Game Three, and that would be Hot Rod Rodney Hood, and what is one of the although it doesn't seem gutsy, what was an, it was a very gutsy move by Terry Stotts. To bring a guy off the bench in that kind of a game where normally in overtime you want your studs out there the entire time because it gives you the best chance to win. But maybe thank Mo Harkless for cramping up worse than any other player. And thank Terry Stoss for having the wherewithal to go. This guy hasn't played a ton today. He only finished with 24 minutes. So at that point, he had only played about 20 minutes in the game. And he comes in fresh. He does that weird little gallop onto the court, which I thought was kind of kind of silly, but will now be an iconic gallop for Blazer fans and proceeds to hit every single shot that he took and <laughs> including the big three after the CJ missed an offensive rebound that wound up sealing them the game after Jokic missed the free throw on the following possession. And I just think it is so hard for a coach to make that decision in that overtime. You could see Mike Malone didn't put anybody else in except for Will Barton. And that was earlier in the game anyway. He had way more minutes than Hood did. Because you don't went dumb in that game. He was good, yeah. And you don't want to take your best players out because you don't want to give them that two minutes of a breather and risk getting blown out in those two minutes in overtime, especially when you're that tired. But I give Terry Stotts a lot of credit for thinking and making that decision and saying it wasn't Steph. It wasn't, hell, Anthony Simons or Jack, uh, Jake Lehman. It was Rodney Hood. And he was the guy who did it. And if you read the Jason Quick piece in The Athletic afterwards – Great piece, by the way. He said, Rodney Hood said, I was telling Gary Trent and Anthony Simons at the end of the bench, if I get put in, I'm winning us this game. He said that to them. He got put in, and he won the game. I, I So you guys know, I've, I was saying, when we talked about the X Factors, you know, who were going to be the guys, I said Rodney Hood. And, you know, Lynch, you were kind of like, you really stuck on Rodney Hood because I understand what he can do, and I understand what he brings. It's really hard to find six, eight wings um, who have really long arms, can shoot a three, can get to the rim whenever they want to. Like, he is presenting all type of matchup problems. He's probably the biggest mismatch on the floor that the Blazers have. Like, you can really put him out there, and he's going to get whatever he wants to. Ever since he's been in the series, uh, his first three games, 17, 15, 19, he hasn't shot anything less than uh, than 45% from the field. The lowest three-point percentage he had was 33%. Since then, game one, 75%. Game two, 66%. 
You know, so he's done nothing but perform when he was out there. And that little gallop, I think that was meant he hadn't played, stretching himself back out, trying to get some type of rhythm going. And it worked. He but came I, in there. I also feel like that was a little bit of a let's go kind of yeah, thing, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like, it is my time. Back in let's the game. Let's 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 get let's get this going. And he came down, he had that first that first big shot, and then he had the the big turnaround, which I think a lot of people had that been a Minu or anyone else, a lot of people would have been going, No, don't do it. But the fact that he shot that and made that was been absolutely huge, and then so the so the, the Nuggets were up one thirty three one thirty one when he came into the game, and he came into the game with one fifty nine to go in the fourth overtime, and he hits that first shot right, mm-hmm. a little a little step back jumper, and you're you're kind of like, oh, this is like, why okay. he's in the game, but be careful. He took it, and then Will Barton makes one free throw, and then he makes a he makes the the pull up jump shot. Rodney Hood did it. Forty four seconds left to retake the lead. Then Millsap makes that. Really, really tough shot. The game over the, shot. The fadeaway, you go, yeah. oh, no. Sticks his tongue out a little bit. It's like, okay, this game, I think that's it. 27 seconds to go. You're down by one, and you have a chance. CJ has what I would take, what I would say was a pretty awful shot. He rushed it with two defenders. Now, he was the guy I think he wanted taking the shot. He just took it really quickly. And somehow, by the fortune of the basketball gods, jumps higher than taller guys on the court than him, grabs the rebound, sees Rodney Hood waving his arms, Hood pump fakes Barton hardcore and then takes the three to, to uh, essentially at that point in my opinion, confident seal shot. The game. That was a really confident shot. by. Rodney Although I guess too. it wasn't sealing it, but you foul Jokic when they fouled Jokic after that, I kind of felt like he was going to miss one or two. Cause I did so too. Gassed. He was, he was, he was, you could tell it in his face. He, he was ready to sit down and then Curry gets put in the game to hit the free throws. He hits them game over essentially. Um, I just, it's very rare. You see a guy come in off the bench. Who's a bench player and just goes hit, 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 win the game. And here's a clip from Rodney Hood, by the way. I actually felt pretty good. You know, I was telling uh, Gary Trent and, uh, you know, Ant um, that if I got a chance, I was going to end it. You know, I, I felt like, you know, that game needed kind of a fresh energy and um, I can make a difference. So, uh, you know, I was kind of excited that I went back in in the fourth overtime. Well, there's the uh, – I, I thought it was just a quick Jason Quick quote. There's the audio that, that uh, he said that in. Look, <laughs> you're, you're probably not re-signing – Ennis Cantor, who we'll get to next segment, or Rodney Hood. But these two guys have become legends for Blazer fans just in a very short period of time, just for what they've done in this in this playoff run alone. No, I, I've – Enos Cantor, he, he's really changed a lot of minds. And I, I don't think his defense has been terrible against Jokic. There's nothing you can do about him. There, he's, just, he's just really that good, you know. So I think he's done everything you could ask for. I've, I've read a couple things that say, you know, Cantor is just really, really, you know uh, – he feels really lucky to be in Portland. You know, when everybody else waved him, he could have signed with some other teams, but Portland was the one team that he knew for sure was a playoff lock. Like, they're going to go there, and with him, and at that point with Nurkic, you were thinking pretty deep run. And so for him to be out there in place of Nurkic and still have an opportunity to have a really deep run, you know, where else? He wasn't going to do this in OKC. Uh, He definitely wasn't going to do this as a Nick, you know, and I think he's been in the league long enough to where he – Sees where his bread is butter, and I w- it wouldn't shock me if he decided to maybe take a little less. But after you play like this, there's going to be a lot of teams offering a lot of money for guys like Jokic and Rodney Hood. If he plays anything like this as the Blazers move forward, and I'm knocking on wood right now, hoping in hopes that they move forward. But expect somebody because this is his last year as well. So expect for somebody to say, "Here's maybe not not no, nowhere near a max contract, but here's a lot of big money that they're throwing around right now, and he would be gone." And have to understand that the. Uh... Yeah, just I don't want to be like the bearer of bad news, but if you didn't already know, 
the Blazers have a terrible sal- salary cap situation. Yeah, it's, it's not good. So, And I've been reading multiple articles that even if they really wanted to, it would be difficult. You're probably not going to get Cantor, Hood, Curry back. I think all three of them are likely gone. Because, all, frankly, all three of them have made themselves some money this year, first of all, which you can't afford, unless they decide to take some really, really, really cheap deal to stay, which, I mean, it's the NBA. That's, you would have that to, is so unlikely. Yeah, you'd have to sell them on the mid-level exception for at least, like, you go to Cantor, you say, hey, man, we, we sell you on a mid-level exception for a year, and then we're going to really take care of you the year after that. Uh, once the book's clear, that's the only way I think that you could convince one of these guys to come, and they they do have to sacrifice money for a year in order to make that happen. Now, the only thing that would give me hope on that, and that the hope is literally like five out of five percent out of a hundred, is the fact that that Canner one chose to come here when he had other suitors, including mm-hmm. the L.A. Lakers, who has LeBron James, um, it. And the fact that he has stated multiple times how much he does enjoy being here in, in the environment and and the culture, which I think is the number one thing. And I I think is something that's where the 5% comes in is that you can maybe sell them on the fact that we got a winning culture here with Damian Lillard. It's a foundation. You're obviously fit. And that it, it, so if you can sell them on the money, holding off on that for a year, maybe you can. But that that's a 5% like lottery pick right there and i think of the three between curry um hood and Cantor. Cantor would be the one that would most likely end up taking a deal like that you know curry you know as he's getting as he's improving as a player we know what he did when he for his time in dallas uh he's somebody that can go to a team and make a lot of big shots wouldn't shock me if you saw you know seth playing in golden state you know or something like that over the next a uh, little bit that would be you know i'd be super cool but it would also be super scary for the rest of the league hood i think is at that point to where he really needs to show how good he is. I think he had his confidence killed when he was in uh, Cleveland. All of a sudden, you go from playing big minutes on a great playoff team in the West to not even seeing the floor for a Cleveland team who's just really trying to rebuild and not trying to use any of their uh, established veterans. You know, So I think he's still trying to show what he has in the tank. Cantor is the only one I could actually see staying, and you know, I would even play him at the four alongside Nurkic and then, and kind of see what you have from there. But, well, and he would start mm-hmm. until Nurk came back, too, yeah. which I guess could be a, a beneficial thing for him if he wants to do that, where we, we think Nurk could come back by November or December, or it, it, we still we still don't know. If you remember, we, we talked about the time frame of this injury, and the earliest would be near Christmas or a little bit earlier, and then the latest would be at the end of next season. So, yeah, he would, and this text on the Better You Today text line 55305 says as much. He could start next year with the Nurk injury. Yes. I just don't know if he would take the mid-level exception. No. Because he'll get, based on this playoff performance, he's going to get a lot more money than he would have previously, and he might want to go ahead and take that. I mean, it's 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 tough to say no to that much money. No, it, it, it really is. And you couldn't be mad at him. You know, there's there's no way you could be mad at him. I think he, you know, showed that he deserves it. But, uh, you know, I think if there's any of those guys that would take any type of mid-level exception, it would be cancer. Like everybody else, I would totally understand and them going. It, you know, cancer's never been as paid attention to as he is right now. Like, I mean, so, but, but to be fair, really nobody on the Blazers outside of Damian Lillard has been paid as much attention to as they are right now. And cancer is really showing the world that I don't think Blazer fans didn't know he was this good. Like, everybody's just kind of finding out, like, oh, crap, man, cancer can play. Like, none of us knew, like, he was this good. When he was in OKC, you didn't see it as a Nick. You didn't see it. You saw flashes. Like, he could be cold, but... Uh. Well, and defensively, say what you will, in the last two games, he's held his own defensively Absolutely. against Jokic. He's been able to 
can test shots better. He's putting himself in better positions. And I don't know if it's just uh, a rapid improvement in that sense, or maybe the Blazer coaching staff said something to him that kind of stuck and he was able to to do because really is his biggest weakness defensively was positioning. He was always out of position. He was never in the right spot and he's been in the right spot more often. So I, I don't know, maybe, maybe it is the right fit for him. And it's, it's look, it's a lark. You're hoping on a lark, but it, I guess it could happen. Well, you, when you think about about Cantor, I think it's just funny how everybody's like, "Oh my gosh, he's making himself so much so much money." I I think we all knew he was a great offensive player. We all knew he can he could pound the boards. We all knew he could he could you know line up the stat sheet and the scoreboard. The it, it he was on the Knicks, and and he didn't play great defense. And what's the one thing we all know about defense? Effort. It, it's an effort <laughs> thing. It really is. And and we've seen that effort really turned up come playoff time. Well, what happens in the NBA? People turn up that effort in the playoff time. So I'm not necessarily surprised about uh, a good improvement in his defense. It's not like it's great. It's just it's improved because the effort is there. You you know, you have to conserve your energy throughout uh, a long NBA season. So, I mean, there is a reason why you start seeing everything turned up in the last What's what the last 20% of the NBA season and, if you and, make it all the way through? And there's also a reason the defensive player of the year almost – always is never a great offensive play exactly you know like jordan i think is the exception jimmy you know, Butler, jimmy jimmy buckets outside of kobe that Bryant, like, i mean kobe was never I mean, a defensive player but i'm saying but yeah as far as guys all actually, nba all, defensive yeah, all player. those guys you know they're they're very few and far between i don't know how many first team all defensive teams lebron you're thinking more like been on. patrick beverly and Tony yeah Allen you know those, those are the guys guys that yeah. typically step up and step in ben wallace you know they're not going to put up a great amount scoring but so it's really tough to be offensively gifted and then turn around and play all the James Harden when he was on OKC was the Kobe stopper. Anybody remember that? He was their best defender going into the finals. He was supposed to be the one to guard LeBron and shut him down. But when he got to Houston, it's like, you want me to score all the points and play all the defense on these dudes? Not going to happen. This is a great text. Cantor gets a standing out motor for the next five years when he comes on a different team. Absolutely. Unless he he's a Laker. Uh, I, even think then. Even, I think even if he is a Laker, yeah. he'd get a standing out because of what he's done. I, I think, I think what Cantor has done this this postseason has – and, hell, the end of the regular season, too. I can't forget that. He is he has done everything Blazer fans adore. Absolutely. He has been a personality. He has loved the city. He has talked about his love for the city and the team, and he's proved it on the court. All the things that Blazer fans fall for, the energy, the respecting the fan base in the city and all that kind of stuff, he did instantly – and he's just like a funny dude. He's going to be one of those guys that goes down as every, uh, pe people's favorite blazer. Uh, a Robin Lopez, you know, a Joel Pritzbilla type dude that everybody just, uh, that Steve Blake, everybody just absolutely loves on your team for what you do and what you bring. I think Cantor is going to go down. Even if he only plays for Portland for this short time, just what he's done in the playoffs, saying all the right things, Cantor is going to be one of those guys that's going to get a lot of love from Portland for a long time. Coming up next, there was one thing Cantor did after the game that I wasn't a huge fan of. And also, I want to parlay that a little bit into the officiating in general. But first, Jesse Esports Center. Weekend sports with a difference. This is Sports Sunday with Mike and Rashad on 1080 The Fan. So I was Cantor yesterday, kind of became a little extra of a folk hero. 
for Blazer fans. He even tweeted whatever it takes because he re-separated his shoulder after the game or during the game, and he had to like shove it into his jersey to keep it stable after they popped it back into the socket. That was not the tweet I was talking about. What he tweeted after the game yesterday that kind of frustrated me a little bit. I get it, but also, you know, it doesn't need to go on social media. Was he posted the gif of Jokic doing the really, really aggressive box out where he kind of elbowed him in the chest and hit him in the injured shoulder where Canner kind of did like a half flop backwards after reacting to it. And he goes, take a look at this refs. And he tags the official NBA ref Twitter and stuff like that. I mean, I get it. It was a hard, it was a hard box out. It was going after your shoulder, your injured shoulder a little bit. But first of all, it was a box out, even if he threw his elbow, right? He's boxing you out for a free throw. And just because you didn't put any body into it doesn't mean it wasn't a box out. And second of all, that's kind of just what happens in sports. If you're playing hurt, other teams will go after your injuries. That's just what happens. That's part of playing hurt. And I, it, yes, he elbowed him in the chest, but I feel like you don't post that. I feel like you shouldn't post that if you're Cantor. Uh, I don't have a problem with him posting it. Uh, yes, it was a box out, but that's also a foul. Like if you if that was if you were driving and you did that motion as you were driving towards the basket, that would be an offensive foul, no questions asked about. Jokic does that frequently and doesn't get called for it. I mean, he Jokic, is, Jokic is also in in some I guess considered a superstar at this point. He's he's incredible and he's unstoppable. So I guess that's superstar ish, and so he doesn't get called for that. But if you watch that that gif, man, it's not a soft box out. It's not even an it's not even you can't even call that an aggressive box out that's a clear foul yeah, like if Cantor that was doesn't even try to resist it he just gets it's almost as if because i don't know if you've read this before they they talk to each other before the box outs and they'll say are you trying for this one are you going for this one and they'll both say like nah and they'll just relax and wait for the ball the free throw to go in that's a, a little unwritten code among nba players so unless Cantor said that and he said he's not going for it and then he cheap shot at him Maybe that's a little bit dirtier, but and Jokic is proving to be pretty dirty in this series. And, and mind you, we don't way. we don't know but. what happened prior to that play. We don't know what was said, or you know, these guys are constantly jawing at each other all the time. So we don't know the the precursor to the actual bump. But just looking at that, if like I said, if you were looking at any angle, and it, that would be a foul. I'm just it would just it, that's a I don't even think you would really question it, but. So I don't know if I want Cantor to be so concerned with that, but let's just be real. The officiating throughout the playoffs has been pretty questionable at best. You know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go Houston Rockets on you and come up with this huge dossier of <laughs> things that have gone wrong and how many we free throws. Scored 87 yeah, more how, points last year. How many free throws our team should have had. I'm not going to go that far. However, I will say sometimes the officiating is a little uneven a little back and forth and it's, it's really hard. And as a fan, it's super frustrating to watch. Even if you're not a fan of either team, like you want to see a relatively clean game. If you're going to let them play then let them play. But you know, I think it's hard when they kind of pick and choose like what's what. So I struggled to complain about officiating because it's a really hard thing to do. This is the most intense time of an NBA season where there's a lot of fouling going on. There's a lot of borderline things going on. And of course they miss some plays sometimes, right? Of course, they're going to miss a couple of calls. It's human, right? But, and may, maybe I'm becoming in a smaller and smaller group of people on this, but I love the human element in sports. I love it. I don't want robot refs. I don't want all these calls to be reviewed. I I, I don't mind it. So unless, unless they're 
being Tim Donahue and betting on the game and, and controlling it that way, or Scott Foster, I guess, who, by the way, is refing the game tonight for the Blazers. Mm, tight. Um, I don't really mind if they make some mistakes because it's part of the game, right? You got to learn to play through it. They're never favoring one team. It just looks like that sometimes. But at the end, of, like, I think it was game two. Maybe it was game one where it was Blazer fans were like, oh, my God, these refs, they're screwing us. It was us. game one. And at you the don't end complain of the game, after you win. And at the end of the game, the Blazers had like three less free throws taken than the Nuggets. Three. So, to me, they're calling an even game if you have the same amount of free throws. It, it's it's very easy to be passionate about it, and it's very easy to find flaws in it. But you got to admit, they do a great job most of the time. No, I, I'm not saying they do. And that's why these playoffs have been really kind of frustrating at points because, for the most part, I don't have a problem with NBA referees, or I don't have a problem with, I think it's really hard to call something, especially if you're a fan. I think you do a lot of stuff out of emotion. Like I assume that everybody that referees football or basketball is somewhat of a fan of the sport, right? Um, so I can imagine there's a big dunk or a big foul or an and one play that just out of emotion, maybe you, you blow your whistle and say, I think that happens, you know, more often than not. Does that mean they're favoring one team? No, but I think if we're sitting at home like, oh, my God, what a move or what a dunk. Man, how do you think these dudes that are fans and are right there in the action are feeling, feeling about it? Like, sometimes I think it's hard to get over that emotion, but I think it's also fair to, or important to make sure that there's some balance there. And I think that's the the issue, in, at least for me, with some of the referees, even some of the commentary. This has been unbalanced and weird. And uh, that's where I'm, I think most Blazer fans are looking at that like, ah, that, the commentary thing, too, I feel like, again – Although Kevin McHale has been, he's bad. Kevin McHale's, I mean. He's just not a good color analyst. We can just be simple and straight about that. He's not good at that job. He isn't. Um, and he does seem to prefer the team against the Blazers. Maybe he doesn't like the Blazers for getting knocked out of the playoffs with .9 seconds to go a couple of years ago uh, when he was the head coach of the Rockets. Not sure. But, again, they're not favoring another team over another. They're trying to be as neutral as possible. It's so easy it's the same thing with the refs. I think it's really easy for fans to get caught up in the game and be like, bleep this person, bleep this person. They don't love the team like we love them. Well, of course they don't love the team like you love them. They're supposed to be neutral. They're supposed to be unbiased people. So I'm sorry that they were talking about the Nuggets when the Blazers had a possession because they were reacting to the previous possession, which is their job. Like it, I don't think Doris Burke was that bad. Doris I, Burke I is normally very good with the Blazers if, if there's anything. I don't so know. I, I don't know. I feel like I saw a lot of it. It's not just you saying. Yeah, it was. It was. I felt like at points it was a little one sided. Now, understandably, they're national commentators. One probably for don't the see. Nuggets? Huh? Who cares about the Nuggets? That's my question. Is like, why is there so much love for Denver right now? Like, we're. I'm so almost. You want it to it be was, one sided for the Blazers? No, not at all. But it would be nice for the Blazers <laughs> to be mentioned as like. a good team, as a, as a as a three seed, and it kind of seemed like at points. With Kevin McHale and with Doris Burke, it was almost kind of like, oh, and the Blazers are here too. Look how good Denver is. And, oh, Jamal Murray, like, oh, Damian Lillard and the rest of the Blazers. Like, it's like <laughs> Damian Lillard and the, you know, the Pips. That's that's pretty much how, you know, it's kind of been treated right now. Uh, over in, in Denver right now, it's kind of funny when they when they take a break talking uh, about Joe Flacco. Um, they, they do mention the Nuggets from time to time. And one of the times that they brought it up on their, their primetime show, um, this – uh, on, I think it was uh, Thursday or something. They were like, "We can't believe we lost to a team that that you know a crappy team that played that bad." And 
so in they game were two, you mean it to, was that for game two for game mean? two yeah and so it was just kind of the lack of respect that they were giving Portland in that media um, especially considering a lot of them weren't anticipating Denver winning the series because they're also blaming it on youth and everything um, but I was it, seeing a lot of that in social media Denver fans don't think they're winning the series no. No, they're just happy to be here at this point. <laughs> it's just weird. Uh, it's As a two just seed, which is strange. Yeah, no, the whole the tone, even in uh, the San Antonio series, there was a big tone of ah, the, they're not coming back. They're too young. They're not ready for this. Um, but then just the arrogance of saying Portland, you know, they're like, it's just Dame and nobody else, basically, is what they were saying, um, which is an insult to Portland. And honestly, what Terry Stotts has done uh, with a coaching job with this this roster. One final thought before we move on next segment. I just want to read this because I, I tweeted this on April 9th at 12.21 p.m. This was the day or the night of the national championship game in college basketball. Now, remember last night, the Blazers were the beneficiary of a replay where the ball was poked out of bounds and they called it Nuggets ball. And on replay, it showed it was on Jamal Murray's hand mm-hmm. at the end of the play. And before it went out of bounds, they flipped it. It let the Blazers tie the game on the Damian Lillard drive. Uh, and go on to the next overtime. I think that was an overtime number three. Huge play by CJ, by the way. And I saw, again, giant uproar about that, saying it's not in the spirit of the game. They would never call that if it wasn't within two minutes. Here's my tweet, because this happened, the exact same thing happened in the Virginia-Texas Tech championship game this year, mm-hmm. if you remember, that led Virginia back to the win. Here, Here's my exact tweet. It was a three-part tweet. I'm a little confused by the reaction to the pinky replay in the game last night. Everyone wanted instant replay. You got it. It showed on multiple angles his pinky was the last to touch. If you want the call right, you got the call right. If you don't, then why use replay? And for those who said it was never intended for super slow-mo, really? Isn't it supposed to show what the human eye can't see to help get the call correct? I've never been a big supporter of replay, but if you have it, this is exactly what it's for. I'm not a huge fan of overdoing replay in sports. I'm done with my tweet. This is me Mm -hmm. again of overdoing replay in sports because I, like I said, I, I love the human element. I don't want to remove that completely. And I think it slows the game down and whatever, but all these people have been calling for instant replay forever. in all these sports, you got to get the call, right? But yet when they get the call, right, everyone gets pissed off about it because that's not the spirit of the rule. CJ poked it out of bounds. Well, on the replay, it was on Jamal Murray's hand last. So you got the call right. And what 90-year-old person is worried about the spirit of the of the rule? Like, it's hey, not, man, it's, listen. It's people it's, our it's age. It's 2019. Like, I'm tired of seeing, like, seeing games come down to, uh, oh, well, missed the call. Sorry, you know, but it should really be New Orleans going to the Super Bowl. No, get it right the first time, and then you don't have this problem. So I'm okay with the instant replay. I'm okay with things taking an additional 40 seconds a minute and a half for them to review whether it's out of bounds or not. Like I'm okay with that. Like I, I don't understand what people old curmudgeon, like get off my lawn, like old, you know, old sports, like, come on, man. Like you have to evolve with the game. Things are faster. Things are quicker. Uh, so you have to be able to look. And at the end of the game, you look, trying to look at everything, make sure you don't miss anything. So why not have some additional eyes in the form of a camera to make sure that you got the call, right. And it, the problem that I have mostly with that is all these people who are complaining were the ones who wanted, uh, were the ones who wanted the replay in the first place. Right. So if you want the replay and now you're complaining cause you got the replay, that's really, really, really stupid. Uh, well, you're never going to be able to uh, please some fans. So it is what it is. Don't take away replay. That's, that's the best part now coming up next. 
We got this text. Doris Burke couldn't get enough of Jokic. Frankly, she like loves him. I don't know if they have something going on, but she was well, like, it's like an infatuation. Frankly, with him. neither could I. He was incredible again, and we have to give him some love based on what he did in the in the loss in four overtimes. That's next here on Sports Sunday on the Fan. Weekends were made for sports. This is Sports Sunday with Mike and Rashad on 1080 The Fan. Final segment here of the first hour of the show. We're going on till 11 o'clock, though. Don't forget, Hater to Love It is coming up at 1030. I do want to continue talking Blazers next hour as well. Where... It's a big, man, it's, it's, a, it's a big time for Blazers. See, well, I don't... Hold on. I, I know where you're going. Go ahead. And... After the Jokic segment, the 10 o'clock segment is this. I saw this tweet from HP Basketball. That's Matt Moore. He's a CBS writer, now Action Network. He tweets 900 times a day. He's an impossible person to follow because he never stops tweeting, but he's a huge NBA guy. And I like to go look at his Twitter during games sometimes because I can't have it filling up my feed, but he's good. Mm-hmm. And he, he asked this during the game. He goes, I guess I just don't really understand why Blazer fans find this run as special as it is. And I want to talk about that coming up in the 10 o'clock segment. I think that's kind of where you were going because this is a really special time for Blazer fans right now. And I want to talk about that at 10. So don't, okay. don't spoil that, that take quite yet. And we only have three minutes. I want to talk about Jokic real quick because as much as I think Blazer fans are learning to hate him because he plays a little bit borderline dirty and he kind of has a little bit of an attitude on the court, what he did in the game on Friday night was nothing short of a, a miracle. <laughs> He played the most minutes ever for a playoff game, 65. He got a triple-double, 33, 18 boards, 14 assists. Um, he was tired at the end of the game. He didn't score for over two overtime periods straight. But I, w- I just want to give him credit for a guy that we all kind of mo- poke fun at for having man boobs and being chubby and not really being in the best shape. Well, he proved to us that he's in good enough shape to at least play the whole game, even though he was dead at the end of it. He he played an incredible game. He's been really good this whole series. And I think it's weird to call a guy like him a, a superstar, but I think he's getting into that level now. He, his court vision is amazing. And I think that's why you leave him out on the court, even when you're, when you're that tired, because he can still pass the ball and find the right guy who's open. And he's just unstoppable inside. He is so good. Jokic is so good that Denver said, here, you can have Yusuf Nurkic for uh, Mason Plumley." Here you go. And just, a first-round pick. And a first-round pick. Just go ahead and take this guy. Like, we don't really – we can't really use him. It's like they treated it like somebody – pouting a lot. They treated yeah. it like somebody who has too many size 13 shoes. Like, you know what? If you know anybody that needs him, just take him because I've got too many right now. Like, Jokic is that special to where they changed – they were able to change Portland's fortunes with one trade. They were – Portland was able to go from a nice little team to, okay, damn, Portland's a really competitive team now that they have – Yusuf Nurkic. That's how good Nikola Jokic is actually to this to this team. He only averaged 20 for the year. So when you look at it, you would say that's there's nothing special about that. But make no mistake, he is the reason that Denver is able to spread the ball around as much as they are able to spread it around. Denver, they move the ball like Golden State. Swing, 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 because you know inside that you have to you have to double Nurkic. And then from there, uh the uh, Beasley, you know, finds himself wide open and uh what's the the, uh, gary harris finds himself 
wide open. Man, Jamal Murray, who knew Jamal Murray was this good up until this year? And I really think a lot of that is playing alongside Jokic. And the fact that he can set a high screen off a pick and roll and pull up for that three, you know, or pop for that three, that's a that's a huge component to their game. I'm trying to think of what other team has a center that's not named Boogie that can actually, you know, run that play. Man, Embiid. You know, but maybe Nurkic. Nurkic can pass. Maybe really maybe well Nurkic, too. but can Merk, can Nurkic shoot from the top of the key? Yeah, a little you know, bit, a little bit, not you know, as well as Jokic, but not, a little and, bit. And that's what I'm saying. He's 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 that special, and for him to play as many minutes as he did, he was huffing and puffing up the floor, and his body kind of reminds me of. Uh, you remember Mark Gasol before he shed all the weight? You know what I mean? Or or more than that, Kevin Love before Kevin Love kind of lost all the weight and became the the Banana Republic model okay. you know that's kind of what uh what Jokic reminds me of now I just think if he really spends time in the weight room and really spends time uh kind of shredding his body you're looking at the next Dirk Nowitzki here like you're looking at somebody that you can't guard on the perimeter you're looking at somebody that you can't stop inside that can rebound and then oh the one component that Dirk and some of those guys never had is his ability to pass he can get 9 10 11 assists he had 13 assists or what 14 assists the other night like, he did everything he could to keep his team in that game. He's definitely not the reason he lost, even with the the long lull that he had as far as not scoring the ball from the end of the fourth quarter into the third overtime. Like, even even with that, he was just absolutely amazing, and he changed the way that people have to defend him. This text says he did nothing after regulation. Well, he did nothing but continue to facilitate the offense. Like, that's what I was saying is he went multiple overtime periods without scoring. He could not move offensively anymore. But he still made some good passes. He was still a threat on the inside defensively. And I think – and that's where Malone even apologized after the game, the Nuggets head coach. He goes, I, I, I had to apologize to him for playing him the entire time, but he's our best player. I can't take him out in a four-overtime game even for a minute. And and Mason Plumlee played terrible in the game too. He was minus 11 in like 10 minutes or, or five minutes on the court. So I think you leave Jokic in. It wasn't a terrible college as he was really, really tired. But – Sure, he didn't do much after regulation scoring-wise, but I think he was still an important factor on that game going to four overtimes. Right? No, he was he was amazing. And listen to his scoring average, or his scoring outputs over the last few games in the playoffs. Uh, game one in San Antonio wasn't great, you know, 10 points. But then 22, or 21, 22, 29, 16, 43, 21, 37, 16, 33. So... I expect after a 16-point game or, you know, when he doesn't get 20 for him to explode the next game and do something else. Like, we talk a lot about Cantor's defense, and rightfully so, it's not great. But in this situation, there's nothing you can do about this guy. He's he's really offensively, uh, he's that talented. And I think it's finally – and if you're in the Northwest Division, you know that already. We've seen him four times. They waxed the floor – well, not waxed the floor at the Blazers, but they beat the Blazers uh, three of the four times that they were able to play this year. They're a good team. Denver is – I think that Denver is a very underrated team, and I think they're easy to be underrated because no one expects much from Denver, you know. Last time Denver was relevant was when Carmelo and uh, Chauncey Billups took them all the way to the conference finals. Outside of that, Denver has been, you know, in, in basketball purgatory for the past 12, 13 years. Coming up next hour, hate it or love it at 1030. We got to do a little preview of tonight or this afternoon's game as well. But next segment, a tweet from HP Basketball that said, I, I guess I just don't fully understand why this playoff run means this much to the Blazers. I think it's pretty easy, and let's talk about it next. This is Sports Sunday on The Fan. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. 
Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.